every single person that's involved that claims to be involved in policy has to be a schedule f which means they're not allowed to be part of a union and which means they can be fired for cause and that is the most important thing that could ever happen to the administrative state. It will change the United States of America. It will change everything. It is the most important thing the Trump administration ever did that no one pays any attention to. Schedule F is the most important thing. It was must happen day one if we live in a real country still and if we ever regain any kind of power, the Schedule F policy must be implemented day one. Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to Moment of Truth, the podcast of American Moment. My name is Saurabh Sharma. I'm the president of American Moment, and I'm joined by Nick Solheim, the COO of American Moment. And this is the last episode of the year. We're done. Season one is over. We got through 44 episodes of this godforsaken podcast, and you people keep listening to it. So thank you. We should have just recorded yeah. one more so we could have gotten a four. I know. Five. Well, that's the thing is Amanda's people told me that they were really excited that she was going to be episode 45. Alas, uh, we will not have a 45th episode. Well, we will. It's just going to be the first episode of season two. Um, we'll have to make that one really good then. We will. We will. Uh, many glories and more. Really, the only reason we're going to take a break between this first season and the second is so that we have time to improve things and to book really awesome guests. So if you have any ideas, the best way to make sure that I actually listen to them is to write them in a five-star review. Um, we've got hundreds of reviews. Well, 105 reviews at this point. Um, and we would love to have hundreds more. So uh, if you've been listening, you're basically a freeloader. All this content is free. The least you can do is actually write me a nice five-star review or just so press the little five-star button. Look, some of you are senior government officials, and so I understand if it would be problematic if you listen to the podcast with the bad people. But um, it's uh, it's been a, a wild ride, and boy, did we get to close out uh, on a bang today. We had on Amanda Milius, who um, was the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Content at the State Department under the Trump administration, and that's the most boring thing she's ever had the title of doing. Uh, she is the founder of AMDC Films. She is the producer and director of the documentary The Plot Against the President. Uh, she just bought out the rights to tell the story of John McAfee. She's the daughter of John Milius, one of the most legendary Hollywood uh, producers and directors the country has ever seen. Uh, and she's absolutely nuts, and we adore her. <laughs> um, she, we, did we have the most wacky episode imaginable. I think we're going to try to cut in some of the pre-official rolling uh, content. We'll see how much we can get away with because, man, she's just a ton of fun to be around. Nick, what did you make of all that? <laughs> yeah, boy, what a what a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I mean, we covered everything from, you know, the plot against the president, uh, uh, the movie, you know, aesthetics on the right and how Basically, every piece of content like conservatives try to make is extremely cringe and terrible uh, and, and, and why that is. Uh, we also talked about uh, John McAfee being based and like whether he killed himself or not. So very interesting episode. You're not going to want to miss a single second of it uh, because it was truly a roller coaster. Yeah. And so uh, 
As always, go to AmericanMoment.org to find out the rest of what we're doing. I will say I am ultimately vindicated. So to give you guys a little bit of a behind the scenes of how these things work, um, in January, we were uh, still uh, undecided on what the logo for our organization would be. And uh, to the extent that I've been a giant stick in the mud to get what I want, that has probably been the biggest case of that in the entire history of this organization. And guess what? Amanda Milius thinks that our logo is cool. That's why she insisted on wearing it uh, during this episode. And that's why she wears it all around D.C. She's says it's right on top of her jewelry box uh, you gotta explain home. what you're talking about you didn't i'm talking say about pin. our american moment pin this is why you people need to tune in on youtube you would understand what i'm saying but these gears um she has the blue and white version that's the one uh for non-staff but we wear the gold ones um she we, thinks it's cool and we lent her one we did today. yeah uh so she could you know wear the gold because be it mattered a lot more that the pretty director lady was wearing one than the short ginger kid sitting next to me and so anyway amanda thinks we're cool so um we were so glad to have her on. We're so glad that you guys have listened. Uh, and we'll go now to Amanda Milius, uh, the final episode of season one of Moment of Truth. Hey, Amanda, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Hopefully well. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Uh, we're, we're doing fine. It's been a fun uh, little bit getting started here. But uh, as always, we like to start with people's background. And you certainly have an interesting one. We have a lot of political dorks and pundits on this show most of the time. You are neither of those things. Tell us about yourself. How'd you end up here? I'm neither a political <laughs> dork or a, or a pundit. That's right. You know what? That might be true. Yes. Why do I keep getting asked to talk about things then? I don't understand. Well, it's so weird. No, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. Okay, sure. Well, uh, uh, what do you mean? Like, how did I end up uh, in D.C. and yes. all that? How did you end up doing the constellation of things you do today, being at the nexus of the movies, uh, the politics, the plot against the president? How, tell us the story from, from well, youth of Amanda Milius. I had an identity crisis. Okay. Uh, I, was, uh, I went to USC film school. Mm. And uh, as you know, my parents are both in the film industry. And I'd worked around and in the film industry including the fashion industry for quite a bit. And uh, I finally committed to going to USC film school. I did that. I did quite well in that program. I was actually like just, uh, you know, I've, I've gone to other universities before and I, I did not do well. I, I, uh, I was a very bad student. And luckily, because I, I think my first university was actually a communist university called the New School in New York. Did you uh, really go to the new school? I did. <laughs> you can look amazing. it up. I, I didn't graduate and yeah. I used to hide this from people. I used yeah. to be very uncomfortable about telling people I never had an undergraduate degree yeah. um, because I thought it was embarrassing. Yeah. And it turns out it's actually not embarrassing. It's actually a very big point of pride for me. Oh, yeah. It makes you way cooler than most of the dorks. I now realize that. <clears throat> so it turns out. So, I mean, that's a place where you send uh, if you're sorry, I don't want to touch your your uh, uh, mic here. Um, it's a place where you send children if you cannot in your family abide them not having an undergraduate degree. It's if uh, you you've you've got kids that are so misbehaved that they can't get it anywhere else. You can pay them a certain amount of money and they will take your children and they will give them an undergraduate degree. And I couldn't even do that. <laughs> so um, it's like adult daycare. Yeah. It absolutely. But the weird yeah. thing is, is I remember even at that age, they were teaching things like protest uh they were teaching SJW stuff well before it was in popular culture. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I was so allured by the nightlife and the uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll culture of New York that I barely went to class. And so I didn't get uh, inoculated. I, I, didn't, I didn't get indoctrinated, as we'll say, in any of that stuff. So 
Um, I left. I went to go work in the fashion industry and then managed to go to the film industry and at some point decided maybe I would just say yes and I ought to basically be trained in the real world of film, right? Like my dad had always wanted me to go to USC. My dad is one of the stars of USC. He's, he's, you know, I, 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 every kid goes through this. They're rebellious. And I'm like, I'm not going to go to the same college (laughs) as my dad. I went to the same high school as my dad. I'm not doing that. And finally I did. And it was a very, very, very life-changing experience. I mean, USC's cinema is really, you can't deny it. It is the best film school in the world. And I changed my life. And I learned a lot of things there and it was very, very, very helpful to me. And so I was able to actually put my thoughts to, you know, not necessarily to the page, but to uh, the visual, right? Like I was able to actually like put to put put to put to reality what I thought about all the time. And uh, so it was really great. Um, so I went to USC film school. I did a short that did very well. It's called The Lotus Gun. It's hilarious. <laughs> To me um but it's a it's like sort of this like very weirdly uh subculture veiled uh second amendment propaganda piece but really it's not actually that it's about two ways of living life one of them is in a communal society and one of them is an independent life and that's all it is it's two women that are very like similar and uh it turns out it's still available on pbs on uh on on youtube if you want to see it it's called the lotus gun and what's hilarious about it is actually dasha nekrasova's first movie which i don't know if i know and i and i absolutely I'm, I'm so proud of her and i recognized her immediately as just this absolute i'm not trying to give myself credit but i mean her credit she is just uh, the most charismatic wonderful star and i'm so happy that she did that um so so I did that and the movie was doing really well. Look, I, I was um, you you couldn't have asked for a better reception. I was in 45 film festivals. I was traveling the country, traveling the world. I went to Greece. I went everywhere. Um, and yet at the same time, I was very uh, disappointed and uh, disheartened with the film industry. And I was very grossed out by it. And I was desperately wanting to do anything else. And it was very weird because I just spent all this money going to the most expensive film school in the entire world and succeeding at it. Like I succeeded. I did it. Um, And I was like, I can't do this. I hate this. I don't want to apply for the grant that is for film female filmmakers who want to make dumb, stupid movies and apply for like Ryan Murphy's like internship like just everything about it like made me want to barf yeah. and I was like I I had I, I the only thing you could possibly describe it as is an identity crisis and I did um, what many Jews have done over the years <laughs> and I, I traveled the desert I got in my car I packed a bag and I traveled the desert and I went to the only swing state that existed and and meanwhile you know I was obsessed with politics this whole time and I couldn't talk about politics in LA or in Hollywood and yet so I had to keep it quiet if I was ever talking to anybody about politics I had to say uh well I'm not really interested in politics I'm not paying attention because otherwise you'd get in an argument so Republicans what's that what's Republican <laughs> yeah so meanwhile I was the most obsessive I mean you like since uh look I've been obsessive about politics for a hundred years like I, I i i am a neurotic about all of it like i know all of it and so to hide that was a 
a moment where I thought back to things my dad had said to me, where he said, whatever you do, do not be untrue to yourself. And so I started to remember those things. And I was like, well, geez, I don't know what that means. I just graduated from this impressive film school and I'm I'm lying to everybody about who I am. And so I had these jobs. I was working on very impressive projects and blah, blah, blah. And so I just jumped in the car, packed my bags. And I went to Nevada, which is the closest swing state to Los Angeles to uh, California, because working in GOP politics in California is absolutely not worth it because it's filled with a bunch of corrupt people who make money on losing. And I had no interest in that. Um, so I ran to Nevada. I didn't tell any not that anyone would care, but I, I didn't tell anybody uh, like, oh, I come from Hollywood and I'm this person or that like not like anyone would care. But I, I was a very I was just very private about my situation. And so I was like, I just want to help. What can I do? I walked in the front door they're, they're They've got bumper stickers, you know, on the on the counter and they've got little old ladies signing up people to do walk in votes and this and that. And I I figured out the app pretty quickly and it turned out that I was the only person that could fix the app. And so they they gave me the job. They had you doing tech support. IT yeah. administrator. Yeah. So it turned out I became the. Those vol- usually look like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. And we could have used a you on yeah. that, but I'm um, useless when it comes to tech. Support. It wasn't that hard. <laughs> I, a little white girl like I could actually figure it out. But yeah. uh, so they gave me the job of uh, volunteer coordinator. I moved into a motel, and okay. uh, uh, it was a very seedy motel. And I started working for the Trump campaign and nobody knew anything about me. And I was just hanging out with normal people who were working two or three jobs and just wanted to knock doors and and talk to other people who wanted to save America. And it was amazing. And that's uh, that's how I got involved in politics. It was it was extremely humbling and the most gratifying thing I think I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, Was this the primary or the general? Uh, it was, uh, between the primary and the general because I was going all summer. So sometimes I had to go back to LA and sometimes he came back. Uh, so it it was, it was through the whole time. The big event where I really got hired was the, um, remember we had the second, uh, debate in, uh, Las Vegas university. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I really got hired to put the blazer on, which was the funniest thing because (laughs) I think the reason I only got my job is because I might've been the only person that arrived in Vegas with a blazer and so they were like <laughs> they were like you can go meet the vips at uh at the airport because you can put your jacket on and you look normal <laughs> and i recognized all of them so i was like oh okay i was like i was like i was like you know gingrich hello how are you i've i've known you my whole life like da 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 like here come here da da like that was that was literally my introduction and what's funny about it is Actually, I mean, not not that anybody on the right says this, but I've gotten quite a bit of criticism, uh, apparently, on either the right or the left or whatever. They're like, oh, well, she only got her job in the Trump administration because her dad called. And you're like, oh, yes, because the State Department answers John Milius's phone no matter what. And they're like, they're like, who do you want to work in the State Department? Yeah. And John Milius is like, I want my daughter in there. And they're like, yes, sir. And you're like, that's the opposite yeah. of anything that would ever happen. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I quietly worked my way up, and it was one of the most gratifying things I've ever done. And I, I am eternally thankful for the entire experience, and it was wonderful. And the day that we won was the best day of my life, and I'll never forget it. And then you went to the administration. What the hell did you do there? Mm. Gosh, well, <clears throat> first of all, correctly, they put me in uh, the inaugural committee, which is where you put people who are good on the campaign. And might have a chance in politics, but you don't you don't put like 
nutcases like me on the transition because they don't know. Well, I mean, it, these days I would actually suggest I would be a good person to be on the transition if there was another transition. But um, at the time, I had I had no experience in politics. I didn't know anyone in Washington D.C. I had not a single reference on my resume. I don't have no idea like why that even happened. It was just because the people I had worked for in Nevada vouched for me so uh, intently that I got that job. Um, and interestingly, the inauguration is party planning. The inauguration is three Super Bowls in a row in the same week in the same city. And that is extremely similar to making a movie. Um, party planning, Super Bowls, inaugurations, and any kind of big live event where where many people must be together, where there's a lot of support staff, all of that is very, 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 uh, uh, it's the same as filmmaking. So I worked in operations and it was the best experience I could have possibly had. I worked with an amazing boss. And um, I think I did quite well. And, uh, you know, we did great. We had a wonderful inauguration. It was a great day. I think everyone was quite happy. I mean, it was, it was a great week. Remember, it lasts for a week. It's, it's yeah. like 12 events long, the official inauguration events. There's not just one. There's like 12. There's balls. There's events. There's official events, da, 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 da. And I've been dealing with that for a long time. I mean, remember, when you make movies, um, you close off public streets to film the films right so you have relationships with like lapd and whatever and you're like okay we're going to close off main street to this because we're going to film batman and we're going to uh you know these are the hours that's going to be closed da, da, da. same as the inauguration same thing so i worked on the inaugural committee i met a lot of great people I, the one thing i thought was a little bit weird and and i liked all the people i worked with but it was the first time i ever ran into rnc people oh, i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> because remember i come from los angeles where i thought i was like i was like a gay man who had just discovered like New York and I was like <laughs> I'm a Republican listen to me like I, I want to tell everybody about how conservative I am and it was like I thought I was like out of the closet yeah. because I couldn't tell anybody before like mm -hmm. that I was like conservative at all mm -hmm. and so it was very weird to me that there were all these kids that were like you like Steve Bannon <laughs> they were like why do you have pictures of Steve Bannon in your cubicle like what's wrong with you like blah 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 and I was like aren't we doing this for this campaign like I think we all like him right and it was just this weird thing where I finally figured out like oh we really have a problem with the establishment don't we yeah so I really want to like hone in on that was it was it was the personnel problem that apparent oh yes even then even yeah. like Give us some examples of that. Like, and you were at the worst place for it, probably the State Department. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so after the inaugural committee, it was the funniest mm -hmm. thing because everybody lined up and then uh, they, they sort of competed for jobs. And I happened to have had relationships outside of that where I knew where I was going. I knew I was going to the State Department for a very specific reason because I had asked to go to the hardest place possible. I had a friend that said to me, he said, Amanda, I'm at, I'm at NASA. He's like, I'm going to be the head of NASA. It's gonna be fine. He's like, NASA is the chillest place you can possibly go. There's no politics. Um, it's so fun. It's cush. You've got all the benefits. Everything's great. Nobody argues with you. It's just space. Who doesn't like space? Just come to NASA. It's so chill. And I was like, I didn't just blow up my life in LA, destroy my film career, and move my entire life and my two cats across a continent in order to work at a chill place, mm -hmm. I want to go to the worst place you can think of. If you can't get me in CIA, I want to go to state. <laughs> and uh, NASA I, doesn't even go to the moon anymore. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure there are- Would you have designed a better Space Force uniform? 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Although I'm, I believe I'm a bit fond of the... the I like them. I think they're kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. What I really like is the Alex Jones t-shirts of the uh, Space Force uh, thing. I think that's quite cool. <laughs> um, I have a couple of those. I think they're nice. Yeah. Um, anyways, but so yeah, I didn't want to go to NASA and I was like, well, thanks, but no, I'm going to go to State Department. And um, I accepted whatever and, and they actually, they did a good job of finding me the right place. There is, uh, there was at the time a department that did uh, basically what I do, which is production, right? Like content production. At the end of my time at State Department, I was the uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Content, which is a role that didn't exist before I was there. Um, I don't know if anyone's sitting in that role now. I actually, I've got friends still there that are, still talk to me, which is funny. And they're like, come <laughs> over. We're going to have you over for lunch and you can come see everything that's going on. And I'm like, you guys. You'd probably set off a fire alarm. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you guys, if my badge goes off in that building they're gonna shut the building down yeah. but um but no i mean it was really nice i mean th at the end of the day there there are things that go on in the government that like you would like to see go well mm -hmm. why don't we advertise our values and our actual benefits to the rest of the world why don't we uh promote these things why do we promote nothing but like racism and uh, and, and misery mm -hmm. around the world as though that's what our country has to offer. Um, there's a there's a different agency, of course, USAGM, which most Americans aren't aware of at all because this is what BBG was renamed up, which was used to be called uh, Broadcasting Board of Governors. And I've had a lot of friends uh, in there. And I actually, for a brief period of time before the Biden administration illegally removed me, which, by the way, was <laughs> illegal, but since our side doesn't fight, never put any power against it, um, I was on the board of USAGM, which is a, I think they have a potentially a, almost a $4 billion budget. And this is something that uh, runs, uh, you know, uh, the Middle East broadcasting, uh, uh, all everything that was developed from the, from the Cold War to, mm -hmm. to broadcast American values around the world. Yeah. Uh, Our Radio Free Europe. Radio, Radio Free, Free Europe. Um, it, it is the old BBG. And uh, this is something I am quite interested in. That's why I was put on the board of it. But um, right now, what they're broadcasting is that the United States is the worst place in the entire world. And I don't see how that benefits us. But we'll have to wait a few years before we can fix that, I guess. Um, what was it like being at the State Department? I mean, you were probably you, you were one of the few good political appointees there. What is that building like? I mean, you you intimated that it's one of the hardest places to be. I, I don't think people really hear just how dire it is. T tell us. Well, I mean, to be honest, listen, here's the thing. So you've got careers that are politically motivated. And of course, those people are going to be like uh, aggro no matter what. And then they're going to go like cry in their corner and like, you know, freak out or whatever. I, I don't have any time for those people. But at the end of the day, what's interesting about the human spirit is that most people, if they have to go to work every day, no one wants to do something that isn't successful and that doesn't have any effect. And so there's a lot of people that work there. And most people think this is very odd to hear from me because I'm very critical of the um, security state. I'm very critical of the administrative state. But um, weirdly, I, I did. I have to be honest. I found a lot of people that simply secretly maybe came to me and said, you're right. I want to do this better. 
I care about what I'm doing. I don't really care what the message is, this, that, and the other. Not and and, and because in the reality, like it, the funniest thing is, people thought like the Trump administration was like meant to like put Rush Limbaugh on uh, on the air for the entire world, uh, <laughs> and that was what we were going to do at BBG, and it was just we broadcast everywhere or whatever. And I mean, that would actually be kind of fun. Yeah, but that'd be awesome. I was going to say that would be based. cool. <laughs> but but in the meantime, we were actually playing quite nice. And what I was meant to do as a political was to um, ensure that there was no waste and to, um, I mean, they were taking a month and a half to make a 30 second video and I work in film production and that's, I know how to do that better. Mm -hmm. And so what was interesting is there was people there that um, were like, you know what, I know we know how to do this better and I wanna work with you and I wanna help you, but please don't get me screwed by the higher ups that are very politically motivated. And so I did have a lot of allies and I did have a lot of people that I could help and that I could um, lean on to say, how do we fix this? How Look, I am all about shrinking government. I'm the, potentially I might be the only person that actually did shrink the government in the Trump administration because we combined an entirely useless uh, bureau into one. There is no longer an IIP, which is called International Information Programs, and we merged it into uh, global public affairs and... Um, that was actually my idea, and I designed it year one, and uh, we did that. Um, the, you know, the reason that that had to be done is because there's the, the way that the government works is that um, you can't fire people. You can't fire anyone. If there's someone, like, if you were like, okay, we need to edit videos to tell the story of the United States or our policy or whatever... You can't fire them. If they don't know how to work Avid because they're 110 years old, <laughs> you can't fire them. Yeah. You can put them on leave and then you can have contractors at twice the rate. Like, it's disgusting. It's a mess. I mean, the Trump administration did one thing right, which is they um, did the EO about, uh, um, I believe it's called, uh, so I was a, what? I was a class C. What do you call it? I was a like schedule F. I was a schedule C. So they created schedule F. Schedule F is the most important thing we ever did in the Trump administration. It happened in the last few months and it was worked on by very important people. And the moment Including we the previous guest on the show, Patrick Witt. Absolutely. Yeah. The moment we get power again, if we ever do, because we live in a fake country. So who knows? <laughs> but um, schedule F and the memo that accompanied it is the most important thing that ever came out of the Trump administration. Nobody knows about it. That is the most important thing we ever did. It has to be done. We have to make that the rule of law from day one and, and forward, because otherwise we will never fix the administrative state. So for listeners of ours who don't know what schedule F is um, or may not have schedule listened to last F, week's episode with Patrick Witt. What schedule F means that any, so here's what's funny. So every um, person that works in the government because of prestige or their hubris or whatever, every single person rewrites their, uh, gosh, I wish I had read up. So they, they write their, um, so their, their, their description of their job. It's called a, uh, it's like there's a word for it, of course, in every administrative thing. There's a abbreviation for it. It's like, like an it's an yeah. acronym. There's an acronym. So say so they rewrite their job to make it seem like they're involved with policy, mm -hmm. even if they're the typist, even if they're the guy that stamps the passport. Mm -hmm. He's written he's if he's been at State Department for five years. He's written his position to make it seem like he's involved in policy. What the amazing thing is, is that. Friends of mine and uh, other people who are of the same opinion in the Trump administration said that anyone who claims to be um, 
involved in policy has to be a Schedule F, which means that they are not allowed to join the uh, administrative union and that they can be fired at any for for cause. Because right now, just so you know, um, a, uh, a, a, a administrative normal career, they can go up to their boss and punch them in the face. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not making a joke. And they, it will take five years to get them out of the building. That is how the union works. And then maybe you'd get them out of the building. They could they could do crime in the office and it would take that long to get them out of the building. There is no firing career employees. So what the administrative, uh, uh, sorry, the Trump administration finally did, by the way, we, we proposed this year one. I'm just going to be clear because I have to be a little bit honest about the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. My friends and I, and uh, and certainly not me. I mean, I'm a, I'm I'm just a comms girl. <laughs> All I do is prepare things for the public. Yeah. But the lawyers and friends that I've had had prepared these documents and had researched this year one. Yeah. We could have done this year one, mm-hmm. and we didn't. Um, all of this was researched and done, and it could have been uh, implemented not just at the end of our administration with the chaos that happened, yeah. like the immigrant, like like the last like immigration EOs that just flew out the door to be written in sand and disappeared forever. Um, but yeah, the, every single person that's involved that claims to be involved in policy has to be a Schedule F, which means they are not allowed to be part of a union, and which means they can be fired for cause. And that is the most important thing that could ever happen to the administrative state. It will change the United States of America. It will change everything. It is the most important thing that Trump administration ever did that no one pays any attention to. Schedule F is the most important thing. It was must happen day one if we live in a real country still. And if we ever regain any kind of power, the Schedule F policy must be implemented day one. Well, that's the interesting thing about all this that people don't talk about enough is like the number one way that a lot of these bureaucrats were obstructing the president and you know the president's high level staff was just like you know what they're using hold on you want to know what they're using they're using the oss manual i don't know if you guys are familiar with it but there's this oss uh public paper Uh, i forget what it's called i wish i had researched it before this the show i'm sorry but um it's a uh it's a soviet era um piece of uh you know material that we used to hand to um uh friendlies in the soviet era that would tell them how to obstruct uh you know the powers that be and how to uh put gum in the wheels and uh this has actually been recorded as being passed around by the career state in the administrative state during the trump administration and they're still using it so the oss what became the CIA is still uh, using the same thing. And, and and if you look it up, I hope you look, try to pull it up and try to highlight this for your readers because it's very important. Um, it says things like this. It says, ask obscure questions whenever possible. <laughs> it says, um, when given instruction, try to find any reason not to do it and ask other questions. Uh, it says, slow walk everything i mean i could have gone down that list and every single human being that i intervened with at i mean and again i say this like i have to be fair a lot of people at the state department they they were absolutely abiding by this list this is not something that's a secret this is a it's it's not even a deep state secret it's an oss public manual of how to screw up an administration that you don't want to work with and it wasn't unclear to us like who was doing this 
Uh, at the same time, I will say there were certain people who'd look, the human heart does not want to go to work every day and do nothing. There are certain people who do want to show up every day and they're like, I actually like what I do and I actually believe in what I do and I, I want your help, political, um, to get it done better and faster and cheaper. And those are the people I worked with and I tried to help them as much as I can and I think I was fairly accepted by those people being that I'm like as you know, uh, uh, wildly right wing as I am and all of that. Um, but uh, at State Department, I mean, it was very clear who my enemies were and it was very clear who my friends were. And and uh, uh, anyway, so yes, uh, you ought to look up this OSS manual because it's, it's very instructive. Boy, hearing these stories, it makes it almost sound like there was some sort of plot against the president. Um, and uh, that Tam. is crazy. I know, I know. Uh, there, there is, uh, there is also coincidentally. What do you a think? Do you think there was a plot against the president? I, it sounds like it. Um, someone so should make a movie about that. They should, and uh, <laughs> and in fact, I think someone might have. Uh, you uh, well certainly done. were busy in the last parts of 2020 and early 2021. Tell us what you were up to, Amanda. Well, I'm making this movie. <laughs> Thank you. I resigned. Uh, I resigned right at the beginning of COVID. I think it was like. March uh, of 2020, and I formed the company that made Plot Against the President, which is now my production company, which has now grown exponentially. And we have now we have real employees, I and uh, I, I actually have to pay attention to what I'm doing. Yeah. I have an accountant, and I have all these things, and lawyers, and all this stuff that like exists, which you know, when you're just jumping ahead, you didn't have to have, but um. We made Plot Against the President, which was obviously based off of Lee Smith's book. And um, thank God for him, who actually was willing to tell the truth and uh, followed Devin Nunes and his staff and uncovered the fact that Russiagate was a lie. And he is the one who deserves all the credit. And it's funny because I get asked on to like shows and podcasts and stuff like as a Russiagate expert, which unfortunately <laughs> at this point I am. I mean, like it's just it's by accident, though. It's not yeah. like I wanted to know all of this. Uh, it's 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 because I had to 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 make the movie. Um, but the real the real genius behind all of this is Lee Smith. And um, I was so lucky to have his work to make the movie off of. And the one thing that I have to give to this administration and to this movement really is that I do know how to make movies. And that's the weird thing is that I thought I left movie making, right? Like I, I thought I threw a grenade into it by joining the Trump administration. I was like, well, I'm never going to make movies mm -hmm. again. So that's done. I'm going to go work in politics. Yeah. As it turns out, actually, I'm the only person that does know how to make movies in this entire movement. And so therefore, my job is to actually do the right thing and tell people because mom and dad America don't have time to read every single Catherine Herridge brief and every single thing about it. And um, Russiagate was a lie. And now it's admitted. And I've been proven true. And every single thing that's been said in my movie has never been challenged. And every single thing is absolutely true. And it was the most popular movie on Amazon in 2020 and 2021, even though the uh, New York Times does not want to admit that. And uh, even now, if you've noticed, the Hollywood Reporter actually admitted Russiagate was a hoax in the <laughs> announcement of my McAfee movie. So I think, uh, I don't know, it's almost like, I don't want to be too too silly, but it's almost a God thing. Yeah. I don't, I, I never intended for this to be the case. I thought I walked away from movie making for good, and mm -hmm. it turns out I've actually got to do it forever. Well, and, and that's the thing, Red, is that 
I think you're probably the best movie maker on the right, and it's probably not very close. Can we at least extend from the right? Because, like, what else is there? Yeah, well, exactly. Can we, can right? we go a little farther? Because, yes. like, what, who am I competing with Absolutely. on the right? Well, that's the thing. It's not that like, you made what, the most popular else? conservative documentary. You made right. the most popular documentary, documentary on Amazon in all of 20 and 2021. Yeah. Yeah. There is no one else. Yes. And I have to be a little bit Trump about it yeah. because... It's not like there's a single person on the right that actually has mm-hmm. the, um, I don't know, uh, training that I do, the pedigree that I do. There, And I have to own it a little yeah. bit because there's a lot of people on the right and I love them and I will promote them and I might partner with them and I might help them make movies and I might do all kinds of things with them. But at the end of the day, just because you like a topic, just because you like something, whether it be the Second Amendment, abortion, um, the Constitution, whatever, just because you like something doesn't mean that you can pick up and make a movie about it. You actually have to be trained in what movies are. And I've been trained at the West Point of movie making. I went to USC School of Cinematic Arts. I was the top of my class. There is simply no one better at making movies than I am. And there's no question about it. And I'm very happy to, like I said, help amplify the voices of other people but um there's there's got to be a line drawn and i'm i've come to this point where i'm sort of tired of uh sort of giving a you know humble lip service to everyone that's on the same side as me because the thing is is that we actually have a war to fight and i cannot have this war fought with people that are not well equipped so um I totally yeah. agree. And the only reason I caveat it by saying on the right is because that means that even if you try to retire, we can't let you because you have to come back. No, you can't. Because you're all we have. <laughs> you're going to have and to pay me exactly. to keep going. Um, uh, tell me about, I, I want to dive deeper into that distinction between actually doing something because, you know, I'm sure that there were lots of people sniping to make the plot against the president. No, movie. there weren't. You, you made it was really? just me. It was just. No, I, I remember I was uh, I was actually I did this immense interview. I'm with, sure another documentary about how free markets are the greatest no, I, thing I ever had, is the move. <laughs> look, I'll tell you one thing and I won't name the person because it's not right. But there was a there is a person on the right that's very famous and he was very mad at me for making this movie because in his mind he was going to make the Russiagate movie. And he was like, well, I don't who is this Amanda Millius girl? And I was like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I worked in the Trump White House and the State Department, and I've literally been involved in every single thing that there is. And oh, by the way, I'm actually a trained filmmaker. And by the way, my father's John Melius. And by the way, f- off. Um, but in the meantime, That's this a person. Clip right there. <laughs> and in the meantime, he was like, well, I was going to make the, the I was going to make the Rushgate movie. I'm not going to promote her. I'm not going to talk about her because I was going to make the Rushgate movie. So people have movies in their minds. This is the thing about movie making. Let me tell you one thing about movie making. When you go to the dentist, nobody in the dentist chair sits there and goes, I could probably do this. Yeah. I could probably do teeth. Mm-hmm. Everyone that's gone <laughs> to a movie thinks that they can make movies because they walk out of the theater and they go, well, I don't know if I would have done that scene like that. I wouldn't know. And they act like they're experts because they've been to the movies. It's the weirdest thing. It's like going to the dentist makes you think you can be a dentist. Going to the movies makes you think you can be a movie maker. No, I'm sorry. I spent four years at the best film school in the entire world. My dad is probably the maybe top living filmmaker alive. I mean, I'm just going to, sorry, but he is. Like, I mean, like, look, I got my problems with my dad, but I have to separate. I've already gone through therapy. I have to separate it. Like, my dad's a genius. Yeah. I was able to learn at the at the at the mm. knee of my own father about like how to tell stories and how mm. to tell them visually. 
I am lucky and mm. I, I thank that every day, but I don't take it for granted. And so there's these people that like walk around and they're like, well, I, I believe in the Second Amendment, so I should be able to make a movie about the Second Amendment. And you're like, yes, that movie is going to be terrible <laughs> and that movie is going to be stupid and that movie might appeal to the people that already believed with you and you will never be able to convince anyone who does not already believe with you. So I am different because I can convince anyone because I am actually trained in every single aspect of making movies, every sp single aspect of propaganda, every single aspect of, um, what's the word, uh, what does Scott Adams use? It's a uh, um, not promotion, but a uh, persuasion. Persuasion. Yeah. There's nothing I can't persuade a person to believe. So like that's a f value. Yeah. And I I I, I can't. I, I I'm at this point where I, I in the past I'd be like, oh yes, of course this person believes the same thing that I do. They're just as good as me. Mm -hmm. No, it's not the case. Yeah. I am actually the only one. Well, that's why conservative content and i'm using like air quotes here what sucks. a joke yeah yeah it's no, like, you know what it's it is terrible. sorry i'm gonna do it you know what it is it's millions of dollars spent on graphics and uh cgi to on the nose when a certain director decides to explain that america is at risk have an image of the lincoln memorial like disappearing and like what would that mean and you're like that is the worst thing you could have ever possibly <laughs> yeah. done that is nothing yeah. that is that is not impactful at all that only speaks to the audience and you will never reach anyone beyond who's already coming to your stuff well but it's it's such a good point and and again this this conservative culture thing mm -hmm. um you know the, the the version of it that you just laid out is like oh you know it's propaganda so for the political things we believe but like people are always saying you know we should have a conservative x we should have a conservative no, y no no and it's never no. good it's we God's should not, not dead no, because for usually that's what it here's is. why <laughs> here's why conservatives don't let their kids go to art school and and this is what's one of the things that happened and and so luckily i was a degenerate when i was growing up <laughs> Because I learned the hierarchy of art school, and this is one of the problems, is that um, in, in a field like art, which is aesthetics, which is everything, by the way, which I think now it's weird, like because of the baptism and everything else, people are understanding that aesthetics is actually everything. Um, Turns out your political movement can't win if everyone's fat and ugly. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that's happening is um, people are understanding that art is not uh, excused from a hierarchy. There is a better and a worse. You cannot just do what you feel in your macaroni like <laughs> kindergarten <laughs> class. And because you made it, it's good. When I was growing up, people beat my ass for not doing well. And that was good. That was very good for me. And that was very good for anyone. These days, people, the problem with conservatives is they, they like things that are more like math, where there's a, there's a right and a wrong, and, and we're on the right, and we're not on the wrong. And, and the thing is, is, art sort of escapes that. And the problem is they don't realize that there is a right and a wrong in art. And I mean, Aristotle dealt with this um, quite a bit. And this is one of the things, actually, in my communist college, I did find, <laughs> I did find one, unit, one, one professor that was actually... Uh, solely devoted to Aristotle, and this is all I did, which is why I didn't graduate. Um, but um, this is a very important point, and uh, it's that there is a right and a wrong in art, and there is a right and a wrong in aesthetics, and there is a better and a worse. There is a better and a worse in everything. 
And um, and that's one of the things that I think as long as I think eventually once conservatives understand this and what we call conservatives, I hate using that word, obviously, yeah. because it's just such a annoying word that they stuck us with. Yeah. But I don't really know what else to say. Um, but the people that believe the way and we every believe, adjective just makes it sound worse. <laughs> it goes. Yeah, right. It's 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 quite difficult yeah. because the left is extremely good at language yeah. and it's and and language is an art. And this is one of the things is that that's why I, I'm confident in in sort of like keeping going in the way that I'm going, which is that um, eventually we've got to take control of all of it. We have have to take control of language. We've take control of aesthetics. We've got to take control of everything because you have to believe in yourself. Either you're right or you're wrong. And if you actually believe that you are right, then again, back to Plato, you are right or wrong. There is a right and there is a wrong. And if you believe in yourself and you are right, then you have every absolute um, um, authority to, uh, to, to impress yourself upon the world. And that's what I believe in. And that's why, I mean, in, in, in a silly sense, I've, I've gotten roped in with... Uh, uh, um, some uh interesting uh movements on the internet but it's because i really do believe in this thing and i've believed in it since i was i didn't even know what i believed in when i was in 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 university but it was that if there is a right and a wrong and you truly believe you are right it is your duty to assert that right on the world and i i think you've hit on something very important with the aesthetics i think one of the problems we've had on the right uh and I say we because I don't think we've had this problem. Yeah. But like the right in Not general. Not you two. Is, uh, is, you know, they say, here are the facts and logic. Just go make them pretty or something. They don't deal with the aesthetics no, on the front end. They've never it's, spent time with aesthetics. I mean, it's it's actually one of the sort of like, I don't know how you would end up like me. I mean, the thing is, is that, like I spent my entire life looking at aesthetics. I mean, you have to be like, look, we've got we've got all the uh, what do we call them? The autists mm-hmm. on our side. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really think I'm autistic. because I'm extremely social. But <laughs> um, but when you've got uh, intelli- intellectually gifted people who have a lot of time to spend on certain things. Aesthetics are something that can be draw, drawn down to math. Composition is something that can literally be drawn down to math. And composition is an extremely important thing. And I, 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 I mean, I, I, I could spend 10 years talking about composition. It's extremely important. I obsess over it. I don't know. Does that make me autistic? I don't know. But um, uh, these things matter a lot. And um, the right could... Uh, could benefit from this because it's powerful. Simply the way you present something on a page, a photograph is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And it's why I felt entitled to make the plot against the president, which is a very, very important point, right? Like, it's not like I just did it because I thought, oh, I happen to be friends with all these people that did, that were involved in Russiagate and this and that. I mean, I could have made a stupid movie, but like I gave it everything I had. Like I gave it my entire all and I gave it everything I ever learned about aesthetics and how to control the reaction to human emotions from what they see on a screen. That's why it's successful. That's why it is the number one documentary on Amazon, whether they want to admit it or not, because I didn't let go of things that other right-wing directors would have. Most right-wing directors would have said, oh, well, we have to tell a story about something that happened in the Justice Department. That's fine. We'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll buy, which is very easy, buy this footage of the Justice Department. There's birds singing, the sky is blue, but whatever. 
I I I spent every documentary right. I spent a great deal of money, and I I was an absolute tyrant to anyone around me, which I'm sure they'll all tell you. (laughs) I was an absolute tyrant about filming winter that year, and because I knew that there was not going to be another winter before we released this movie. And so I made sure that the footage that we filmed, that is the B-roll, that is the mood, the mise-en-scene of the movie, was uh, appropriate to what was happening at the time. Because what was happening at the time is there was a deep state, um, and I hate to use that word, but that's just what it is. There was a, a, a plot occurring around people who were working in these government buildings, and the smoke, the fog... Everything you learned from film noir, which is one of the things I wrote about when I was in uh, film school, because I uh, majored in basically, you don't major in it, but I, I wrote my thesis in film noir and California film noir and da da da. All of these things that, all these themes from filmmaking that uh, that came true were were in this movie where there was smoke rising from the rising from the deep. There was darkness. There was like this amazing contrast of like dark trees against white clouds and like all of this. Like, how could you give that up? Like, how could you not show that in a movie about what was happening to unturn the American, uh, you know, way of life? That's what was happening. It's got to be harder than just using the Shutterstock footage. (laughs) Right. And that's the difference between me and everybody else. And I mean, I I hate to say that, but like, like, like still to this day, there's people that are pissed at me for doing this movie and won't talk about it or whatever, but that's fine. But, um, you know, there's a reason that I'm better at making these movies than anybody else. And uh, I've yet to see anyone else that actually could even hold a candle to what I can do on these movies. Well, and I think the best proof of that, the proof that you are exactly the right person to be doing something like this, is actually not even how well the movie is done, which is enormously, and it's going to continue to do extremely well. It's what you you picked as your next project. Thank you. Doesn't it make totally, sense? Well, it, it, it makes no sense, and that's why it makes all the sense in the world. Because You're it's one clean. of the only people that would get it. There's right. very there's about I would say there's about twelve people alive that would understand why the McAfee movie is the next movie. Right. And and, and the, I don't even know if the people that I work with understand why that's the next movie, but I think most of them do. Well, because it, it speaks to someone who's actually doing this for love of craft and not because they're a professional. A love of ideolo- craft and a love of philosophy yeah. and a actual dedication to the spirit the spirit of standing up against what we have in front of us there has to be if all i do is celebrate the real warriors i mean look when i did plot against the president who were the real warriors it was devin nunez it was cash patel it was um certain people that were willing to i mean i'm not even i'm i'm one step removed like i'm i'm fairly brave but i'm still one step removed cat i when you there's a reason that plot against the president opens and closes with the same shot and that shot is devin nunez standing in front of the crowd of press in the press room and he is announcing that he has found something unusual in the russian uh reports and he's going to report it and he's going to report it accurately and everyone's yelling at him and he's standing by himself and he's announcing that now that is a character that i'm interested in someone who is willing to stand against that crowd because it's a very difficult crowd to do. None of us have done that. I mean, you guys are doing great work. I'm doing great work. Everybody's doing great work. None of us have ever been in those shoes. None of us have ever stood against that crowd and said, this is the truth and I don't care what you say about me and I'm going to say it's the truth. And um, so you that's the reason that obviously Plot Against the President opens and closes with that shot. 
in addition to the um, uh, calling for ending the intelligence community, which might be added in there. Um, isn't it a great ending? Absolutely. But, um, it's wonderful. You know that you know that ending happened uh, five, maybe hours before we sent the movie to color. Did it really? Yeah, I had an editor send it to me and he goes, did you see Nunez on this thing? And I was like, Axe the ending. That's the ending. <laughs> well, and that's that's another thing, right? I mean, there's there's a version of this movie that's made by like some boomer, and they have can this you imagine stealthified version of what how it would a go. mess? I, mean, I will not know. I mean, I don't even care what kind of success I get. All I need to do is actually like coherently tell the stories that actually matter to the United States right now, and like. It would be nice if I could buy a car and like have a house and like things like that. But like, I actually don't care. Like, I just want to win. All I want to do is win. All my dad wanted to do is win. All I want to do is win. I just want to fight these bad people and win. And that's it. I don't really care about anything else. I'll give it all up. I just want to win. Um, but yes, what you said, uh, sorry, not to get on this completely insane rant, but um, uh, yes, the McAfee, McAfee? movie. Well, look at McAfee. I mean, <laughs> I, it's the funniest thing because back in the day, I mean, years ago, so I used to follow McAfee and I would follow Trump and I was working for Trump and I would I'd follow these Who's things. Who amongst us did not follow Who McAfee? amongst <laughs> us did not follow McAfee? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I just, I remember it was, there's so few people that have given us that, sorry, your coffee just made me burp. Um, <laughs> that's your, your fault. Um, yeah, it's just coffee for sure. That's all that's in there. <laughs> it is just coffee. Don't be silly. Um, but the point is, is that uh, who amongst us did not follow McAfee and smile? Yeah. And this is the one thing. I mean, it really, the I don't true know. true enemy of the regime. It's the weirdest yeah. thing. I don't know if it's because like I've been out of therapy for so many years or whatever <laughs> it is, but there's a, there's a connection between my acceptance of my own father as a, uh, a character Beyond someone that can offer me something, right? Like beyond somebody that can say, Amanda, here's how you get through high school. Here's how you get through college. Here's how you go work and whatever. That was never going to happen. He was never going to tell me anything useful about any of this. What he was going to do is say insane things that were quite <laughs> memorable and and funny and, and actually 10 years later, very appropriate to the world that we live in. And so I've learned from a young age to sort of have this weird appreciation for like men being men, right? And like, I, I hate to be this person because I did it. I, you know, again, not to mention another podcast on your show, but <laughs> I did the Perfume Nationalist the other day and it was probably the best thing I've ever done because obviously it was, it was, it was me and a gay man and a, a crossdresser. And uh, surprisingly to no one, the whole show turned out to be all about dick. <laughs> um, so, uh, so sorry, but um, your conservative audience. Um, but no, but the thing is, is that there's this charisma. I think I appreciate charisma. I think I appreciate the boldness of charisma. And I think I appreciate there's, I mean, people talk about, um, you know, oh, this person's not charismatic, this and that. I mean, Trump is charismatic and it's not just, and that's why, I mean, weirdly people would be like, well, don't you disagree with him about X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. The spirit is what goes with it. And that's that's how I had to deal with my dad. There's plenty of things my dad has done. I mean, aside from stealing $3 million from me, <laughs> I have had to forgive. And that's fine because, you know what? My I, I may be different from my brothers, but I appreciate charisma. And I appreciate being close to it. And I appreciate learning from it. And I appreciate saying this is someone who does not take the influences of the world and adjust their life and their personality 
by those influences of the world. Instead, their personality makes the world. And so that's what I really think, like masculinity, um, charisma, um, all these different words we could use is. And so uh, I appreciate that and I admire it and I would like to capture it. And so that's why I am doing this. That's why it makes total sense that the next you know, large project we're doing. I mean, mm-hmm. remember, we have four movies on the yes. slot. This is not just the only project, but the next one that we have announced is McAfee, and uh, and and it makes complete. I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine my dad and McAfee on a boat with the guns and the girls <laughs> and the whole thing? Can you imagine? Like, I mean, this is the thing. Like, most people don't understand. Like, to be me, you've had to accept my dad as your dad. Like, it's quite close to accepting McAfee as your dad. There's guns, there's girls, there's boats, there's motorcycles, there's everything. It's like, you have to get into it. Either either you're like my brothers, which I love my brothers, but they've had this, you know, the, this male reaction, which is, oh, we have to do everything the opposite of our dad. Like, mm-hmm. we cannot, we, my brother, my brother, who's a genius, by the way, who's a, a, a very, very uh, successful DA, everything's the opposite of our dad. I'm the only one that has gone, like, you know, I deal with dad and I, I kind of go that direction. I would like to not end up exactly that way, but I, 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 appre- I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate him. I'm so thankful that I've had the ability to learn at his knee and to, uh, to see life the way that he does. And to, uh, it's, it, I think it really has made me who I am. And I mean, everybody admits that I'm, I don't know if they're trying to insult me. But they, uh, <laughs> they say that I am the most like him. But I mean, and that's the funniest thing for my dad, right? Where yeah. you have two boys and one girl. and You would and, not have expected the girl. To and, be and you wish the boys went into the army. And then instead you've got this like art school girl that turns out to be the most like you and like sets things on fire in the neighborhood. <laughs> and he's like, why? Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of funny. But anyway, so yeah, I, I, I just think the McAfee thing actually goes totally in line with the Nunez thing and uh, all of the other movies we're about to do, which I can announce soon. But every single thing that I will ever do that I'll ever put time into has to do with telling the truth and um, telling the truth when it's not popular and um, telling it in a way that connects with normal people. Yeah. And normal people loved McAfee. I mean, like, loved him. I they did. I mean, I remember, like, scrolling through the timeline, seeing him on the boat, like, you know, shirt half How button, could and you I'm not? Like, because you know what? He's thriving. Here's the thing. <laughs> Society has denied everyone that sort of vibe. No one's allowed to be weird. No one. Yeah. No, but just not just weird. Yeah. It is unabashedly themselves. Mm-hmm. No one is allowed to stand on their own yacht holding machine guns and ten hookers <laughs> And say, this is me, I am me, you can't come get me, because I am me and no one can stop me. And that is what I like. Well, it's a story about a I mean, plot against the president. It's a story about uh, how a great man was attacked by every institution around him, and the McAfee movie will be too. I'm glad that you see this connection. Thank you. Yeah. Did he kill himself? Oh, well, interestingly enough, you know, I mean, not 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 too far from when he actually supposedly died. Um, he had a tattoo put on his arm called that said whacked, you know, and is spelled whatever. And it said, if I'm ever in a situation like Epstein, just so you know, I will have never I will never kill myself. And I've thought about this plenty of times. In fact, I think my entire crew has actually considered putting the same tattoo on themselves because they're all very paranoid, <laughs> which is weird because yeah. no one cares about us. But like I've had, I've had like my editor is like, should I like 
sign a will. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, but what he did is he wrote whacked on his arm, which is so interesting. Yeah. Uh, because when the Epstein thing happened, he said, "I will never kill myself, and if I do, you'll know I was whacked." So uh, it's a very interesting thing. I mean, I, I have a lot of opinions about it. I have, I have an immense respect for his family. And when I say that, I mean his widow. Um, and uh, I, I hope I can uh, live up to her expectations of what a real story about him would be. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the funny thing is that, I mean, in some ways, like, obviously, I'm politically motivated. Like, look, I'm quite right wing. But at the end of the day, like, I'm more of a filmmaker than I am a political person and I would just like to make true stories about people and there's much of Hollywood that cannot be trusted with any true story and so I don't mind just focusing on that I want to tell the true story and so I've 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 outwardly promised her that Uh, I will continue to do that and uh, that's the reason that I bought this book uh, because it is the actual tapes of McAfee uh, telling the story of his own life, which, by the way, can you imagine? I know those tapes. <laughs> I do you want to? How much? How much would you pay to just come into a theater and I listen to those tapes? Bring the booze, and, and I will come and watch. Fifteen dollars <laughs> at least. Uh, I'll pay at least fifteen dollars. Okay, that. good, because yeah. that's that's what yeah. we've got. So, yeah. so um, beyond that, it's just I want to tell the true story because you know. Okay, so I I know we're we're running long here, but the one thing I will say is that, that there's a reason I'm really dedicated to this, and this is that my dad has been. You know, my dad's my dad. Like beyond the fact that he's been uh, a known figure, and lots of people like him, lots of people don't like him, whatever. Like he's my dad. I don't have another dad. Like yeah. he's my dad. I am very 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 uh, defensive of him. I'm very particular about him, um, and so. I understand this thing where Hollywood or just the mainstream press or whoever wants to make a clown out of anyone and they want to make a clown out of people that step out of line. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. And this is one of the reasons why I got into it with Seth Rogen recently. <laughs> because yeah, you've basically picked someone you're going to murder on Twitter every week. It seems like well, you did David I, Brooks. You did I'm Seth bored. Rogen, I mean, did. I have yeah. I have very little to do when my team doesn't tell me I have to sign things. I I sort of sit on my balcony and I smoke and I tear people apart on Twitter. But um, but beyond that, you know, David Brook, uh, he, Brooks, he needs to. He needs to retire after what he did about my response. Because you know what he did? But here's the thing. He didn't, I don't come after everyone. There's plenty of people that say terrible things about me and my parents and everything else. He came after the one thing we care about. There's, my family is a cold, hard, mean family. We do not have emotional relationships with each other. We do not celebrate holidays together. We do not give hugs to each other when we see one another at the airport. The only thing that we have is the searchers. We watch the searchers together. My father named my oldest brother, Ethan, after the searchers. If there's one thing in the entire universe that I have a nuanced understanding of, it is the movie The Searchers. And if you're going to take... David Brooks, one of the most mediocre you know, and I, writers I, in American I, I, life. I mentioned it as a, as, a, as an aside, as an absolute minor aside, which I didn't even deal with in, in this absolutely not 
uh, fulfilled way in this in this speech I did at NatCon, which is hilarious that they. I mean, I, I love NatCon, I love Yoram, and I think it's hilarious that they had someone like me come and like spice up their conference, uh-huh. which I encourage everyone to do. But um, while you were wearing a turban, why was it? <laughs> that was you know whose idea? That was Michael Anton's idea. That sounds were, about right. <laughs> I went I went to the Gucci the night before, and I was like, look what I bought, and he and I was like, how will I get anyone to come to my conference when you were speaking at the same time as me? He's like, if you put that on, everyone will think something weird is happening, and so you should wear it. <laughs> and everyone used it as the and thumbnail. they did, and now I'm no, but the word. Is a, have you seen the article where I'm the cover picture and yeah. it says we're not interested in sex? Yes, yes, yes. I, that's exactly the one I'm thinking about. <laughs> and I get to be the picture of <laughs> I get to be the picture of no sex national conservatives. Whoops. Thank you there so you <laughs> much. Anyways, it's hilarious. But um, okay. So beyond all that, blah blah blah. The searchers. This guy comes for me on a movie that I am more closely related to than. Any, I mean, you couldn't have, I mean, if I was raised on the Odyssey, you couldn't have insulted my opinion more. He, he paraphrased, he paraphrased what I said. He completely misrepresented it. So I had to destroy him and I had to emasculate him because he's a total eunuch anyway. Mm-hmm. And well, that was uh, the easy part. <laughs> it is, but no one's done it. Why yeah. not? Anyway, so I had to totally take him down and that was, that was quite fun. But, um. Anyway, at the end of the day, yeah, I, I I won't stand for stuff like that. The Seth Rogen thing where he comes for me about this, that, and the other. I mean, these people, I'm not afraid of Hollywood. I grew up around these people. I don't like them. Yeah. I have nothing to gain from them. I don't know why they would come for me because obviously I'm going to destroy them. And uh, I don't know. That's, that's, that's. Well, Seth Rogen is fat and ugly, and his car gets broken into every other week. Yeah. Which I mean, he likes. Yeah, which he likes. Which he likes. And he likes Because it. they leave him treats. Yeah. yeah that's It's right. ridiculous. Um, before we close out, uh, Amanda I can't Milius even remember is... what the topic was that I was supposed to. I, I think I had a role there, and I don't remember what it was, but go ahead. What is it? Amanda Milius' Dictator. Uh, what three movies uh, is she making everyone watch? And I am a deeply uncultured person, so I'll just watch these movies no, over the next few weeks. <laughs> you, compared to the rest of the right, is extremely cultured. Um well, so I did an episode. I'm going to have to mention another podcast just to be clear. We like I, other podcasts. This is not the be all end all. So podcast. listen, the podcast for me is the Perfume Nationalist. It's mm-hmm. extremely important. I think everyone should listen to it. It is the merge of um, just philosophy and culture. And it's very important. It's done by a very, 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 very smart person named Jack. And um, what we did recently is we watched for the for the uh, season finale, we watched uh the uh what is it called the um the day of the locust which is probably harder to watch than a snuff film uh it's it's it, but there's nothing there's nothing <laughs> indecent in it yeah. i'm telling you it's so well made yeah. it is so well made that it is that hard to watch it is i mean maybe for me cuz i grew up in hollywood the moment i turned it on i wanted to kill myself i was like i oh this is what I grew up around. This is why I left. God, I got to turn it off. Yeah. But I had to watch the whole thing. The Day of the Locust is everything that is wrong with society. I suggest everybody listen to that episode, which is season finale of The Perfume Nationalist, and watch The Day of the Locust because it is everything that is wrong. And it'll never get fixed. I mean, this is the thing. This is the eternal story of Hollywood. This is why I left. People are like, oh, well, why you left? Like, you could, you could have done right-wing or just whatever weird politics stuff, whatever you do in Hollywood. Like, no, I can't live there. When I land in Los Angeles, 
I start to have an asphyxiation feeling mm-hmm. and I can only be there for 48 hours before it overtakes me and yeah. I faint. And that's I not have just the to pollution, leave. it's also the demons. <laughs> no, it's, it is. Yeah. I think it's the demons. Yeah. I swear to God, I land at LAX and I, I start to hyperventilate. I have to leave. I can never live there again. And, and there's many reasons for me to live there again. There's plenty of like actual good reasons, like lots of property and et cetera, that I should live there again and I won't. I'll live in a cardboard box on the opposite side of the continent before I'll ever live in Los Angeles again. Um, Anyway, so there's that movie. Um, I would say that, um, I mean, just for its brilliance, obviously we referenced it endlessly in Plot Against the President, but it's just a wonderful movie. And the trilogy, I'll add, is the um, uh, All the President's Men by Palooka, who did the Paranoia trilogy, which includes Clute, which is an amazing movie, amazing movie. And... um, the parallax view any any kind of like dc paranoia um movie is worth watching because it's just it, it it's almost heartwarming how true it is and then i'll just leave you with my favorite movie of all time and my favorite movie uh, as i've said to many people it, it it changes right it's like mm-hmm. i don't always leave a number one in its number one slot but there's no reason to not watch the long goodbye it is the most wonderful movie and i've been um very fond of it since i was uh 18 years old and the Long Goodbye to me is is sort of my goodbye song to L.A. Mm-hmm. It's it's just the most precious. Um, it's a California noir, which if you remember the noir uh, um, vibe, uh, the rules are that bad things happen in the dark. And this was what happened in the 1930s and 1940s. It's a long tradition. It came from the uh, uh, German uh, tradition of the filmmakers that ended up having to leave Germany because of Nazi Germany. And they came over to the United States and they made noir. Um, And they went to France and here. So anyways, in the 70s, they reversed all of these. uh, The the, the whole thing was to be transgressive and to reverse filmmaking and to, to make it what it wasn't. And so what they did was the California noir which is, I mean, you could even say something like The Big Lebowski mm-hmm. is a California noir. My dad says that. Um, the California noir is where the bright light of day, the hungover light of day that shines in your face and shows you all of the, I mean, it's more horrific than the the dark night of noir mm-hmm. where the mysteries happen and uh, and you can't you can't see your way out of right or wrong. The bright shining light of fake day comes into your eyes it's a really beautiful poetic thing and i would say that um the long goodbye is is it's probably stays at the top of my favorite movies amanda where can people keep up with everything that you're doing and i never add this i think it's the first time i said it where can they support what you're doing uh just follow me on twitter as long as i'm on there i don't know if it'll be another yeah, day or like, yeah i'm, I'm, I'm have almost you said you out. love india yet that tends to help i hear yeah i retweeted yeah, some yeah. of that i i do love india um no so uh i'm at amanda milius on twitter uh and instagram other than that like what i would suggest is following my company amdc films we have websites we have uh accounts um, we have ways that people can participate, either work with us, mm-hmm. invest with us, um, et cetera, et cetera. But AMDC Films mm-hmm. is where all of our work will be coming from. All right, folks, that's it. We uh, we have 44 episodes of content for you over 50 hours. Season one is done. Uh, go enjoy your families for Christmas. If you haven't listened to any of the episodes yet, please go back and do so. Uh, and we'll see you in January. Moment of Truth is an American Moment Studios production filmed at the Conservative Partnership Center. Our podcast is produced and edited by Jake Mercier and Jared Cummings. Our intro music is A Minor Struggle by Ryan Serenich. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe on all platforms, and you can go to AmericanMoment.org to learn more.